to Four Spikes. As always, I'm your host, Jonathan, joined by my co-host, Greg. Hello. And today we have a very special episode. We are doing our Cube Roundtable uh, due to the listener feedback we got and all the people interested in Cube Talks. So we have some special guests with us today. We have Caleb. Hello. We have Tom. Hello. And we have Kurt. Hi there. All right. So let's get right into it. We are going to be talking about Tom's cube today for a large section of the show. He was the first in our playgroup to have a cube. Uh, we're going to go a little bit over my cube and the very stark differences in both of those. But before we get into that, let's make our big announcement. Greg, we have a new webpage. Well, we kind of have a new webpage. We, we're definitely on, we're on Facebook now. <laughs> yeah. Woo! All right. So we have, we have a fan page. And we're, as always, still on Twitter. So. Yep, four spikes. So check us out on Facebook. Love to get your feedback. And there's also some pictures up there of the new cards and the new full art uh, promos, so we'd love to hear some feedback on that. And let's move right into it. Tom, let's talk about your cube. You were the first in our playgroup. What inspired you to build a cube? Uh, I'll be honest with you, John. I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a good, good start. Re- good response. <laughs> uh, about, about three months ago or so, I, I went back and looked at the first postings on uh, a community blog that we had uh, several years ago when I was beginning to develop the cube. And all it basically said in the first post was that uh, I thought that having a cube was already passe by the time that I had started it. <laughs> but I wanted to do it anyway because it seemed really interesting and I enjoyed drafting. Nice. And and what was that website? Uh, that website is referring to a halfway sort of now defunct blog, uh, www.fugitivewizard.blogspot.com. Yep. I do still keep uh, a relatively updated list of my cube on that webpage. Yep, so uh, you guys uh, should definitely check that out. Tom has a great cube and put a lot of work into it, and it shows. Uh, so, fugitivewizard.com, uh, mm-hmm. as we all know, the phenomenal. Is it a 1 1 vanilla for one? That is correct. But awesome. it, costs, it costs a blue. So hey, good. if it's blue, it's got to be good. <clears throat> That's a fact. So, uh, okay, and, and so you're not, you don't remember exactly the history, but you do, have, uh, you do have a very interesting style of managing your cube. Let's talk about that a little bit because it's kind of by, it's almost by a committee, right? It's kind of uh, a lot of input that goes into it. I prefer the term community-based. Community. Sure. <laughs> community-based cube, CBC. So this is kind of uh, the way that things work. Uh, when a new set comes out, what will happen is there's, there's a lot of communication, informally, really, between the people who are really passionate about uh, my cube. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about which cards we think are, are good enough, starting right up at the previews, right? I mean, before we even have the, the cards in our hands, mm-hmm. we're talking mm-hmm. about which cards we think might make the cube. And then as time goes on, a good barometer for us, because we, we are very all kind of spiky people, especially in relationship to our cube, mm-hmm. uh, we really like to see how the cards fare in competitive play, mm-hmm. uh, in standard, in mm-hmm. older, older formats as well. And after a couple months, we have a good barometer for roughly which cards we think are in contention relative to the power levels of the colors that we already have mm-hmm. in the cube. And then usually what's been happening now is I make some suggestions mm-hmm. and... Everyone else shoots me down, <laughs> and then I take their advice because they're right, 
and we come to a consensus. And you know, as usual with compromise, there's always one or two cards that no one is really happy about. And we we have a pretty good, uh, strong, balanced few. Absolutely. And how many how many people? How many people do you usually like ask for input, or how many people are in that? You know, a part of that that community. You say? It's very difficult to tell uh, because it's constantly changing. It's constantly shifting over time. Um, I invite roughly sixty-five people to every cube draft that I do via Facebook. Wow! Social networking is huge, right? If you're looking Amen. to build a cube, utilize those tools. Yeah, wow! Can I have a question? So you said that's how you add cards. How, do, you, do you subtract then, or is your cube just always growing? No, no, no. We we definitely keep a fixed number. At this point, we have sixteen. Uh, we have enough cards for sixteen people. And that people it recently once. grew, right? Because it was twelve for quite a while. Yes, it was twelve for quite some time. Mm-hmm. We moved up to sixteen, and it was one of the best things that has happened to the cube. Again, Absolutely. I fought it tooth and nail, and then <laughs> eventually realized that everyone else was right, and it's been wonderful ever since. And and we've all. Played your cube. We can all agree it's absolutely phenomenal, right? Yeah, it's so great. it's very well balanced, right? Definitely. Yeah, and it's and it's very fun. Uh, but that balance and that fun takes a lot of investment, right? A lot of time to figure out how to balance. So how does that work? How does your process work to balance it out? Um, well, it really starts with the other people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, if I if I were the one who was running my cube, mm-hmm. it would still be an eight man. Mm-hmm. It would still be just enough for eight people. Mm-hmm. It would have primarily cards from my own collection, which are far weaker than the combined resources of the community. Mm-hmm. And it would just be, it would be so much weaker and mm-hmm. so much worse and, and a lot less fun. And people wouldn't want to play it. The reason that my cube is what it is, is because I've been willing to listen to what other people say. And it's not really my cube. I mean, I, you know, I'm going to say that basically as shorthand right now, mm-hmm. but I don't own, I probably only own, half of the cards there and the other half of the cards and a lot of them are expensive ones are owned by other people who have been willing to either donate them or borrow them or loan them to the cube right to or, make it better or like colin who actually did the art for the moxes right he he hand drew those right so that's right so you've got people who are donating their their mm-hmm. other resources their talents mm-hmm. to making the cube great artist colin and also a great magic player colin Lafleur. so yes yeah didn't you win states a couple of years ago yeah, that's right. He did. Yep. State champion Harry Potter. And uh, we have, <laughs> yeah, great guys in Madison now, but uh, he comes back from time to time and he's done the art. He did the mocks. Did he do any of the other art? Uh, I don't believe so, but he, he loaned me a bunch of foreign and foil cards uh, mm-hmm. for, for some time uh, for the Cube as well. And so he's he's been a great resource. And yeah. Even though he's been away at college, he still was willing to let us borrow those. Yeah, which him. is awesome. And that's, that's an interesting thing because you'd imagine with... The amount of expensive cards, you know, dual lands and the jits and all the alternative art and all the, for, all the pimped out stuff that you got in your cube, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So how is it that these people are willing to basically put that trust in your hands? Uh, well, they don't really know me that well. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> They're not you. Got it. Right. <laughs> I'm kidding. Just kidding. Everyone who has no, money in my cube. <laughs> but if Tom somehow yeah, leaves to Mexico and... Changes his last name, we'll know what happened. Anyway. Uh, no, I, I think that, uh, well, actually, this dovetails well into something that I wanted to talk about, which okay. is, you know, people who are thinking about starting a queue, these are some traits that you might want to think about cultivating yourself or, or thinking about if you have. Uh, because I will absolutely tell you that the success that I've had with the cube has nothing to do with my play skill. 
has nothing to do with my collection of cards. Mm. has nothing to do with the amount of money that I'm willing to spend on Magic. Hmm. None of those things matter. As much as being someone who, for whatever reason, generally seems to uh, have a reputation to be trusted mm-hmm. within the Magic community, uh, someone who's willing to listen to what other people say, mm-hmm. humble enough to know that I'm not the best player in my playgroup to make decisions and that I need other people in order to make the cube better, and uh, that also that I'm willing to put a lot of time into discussing and hashing things out and not just being like, no, you're wrong, mm-hmm. you know, but to actually list reasons why I think someone might be wrong mm-hmm. and to be willing to be convinced right otherwise mm-hmm. if it turns out that I'm wrong. Those are the things that I really think if someone wants to have a community-based cube, mm-hmm. those are the aspects that a person really could do well to cultivate within themselves. And it's also, it's to, to piggyback off that, I mean, first of all, I completely agree. That's all the reasons. Any card that I've ever donated has been because of those reasons. And and alternatively, the other side, which is that not only do you have that level of trustworthiness for basically all those reasons, and also you're super nice to play against even when you lose, you're gracious. When you win, you're gracious. You're great guy all around. <laughs> for, Some for of my opponents might disagree. my experience. <laughs> and my, I didn't play that much during fairies, uh, so <laughs> type 2, so that might be a difference. But uh, No, but, you know, just great guy, but also you've been willing to put the time and effort into actually organizing the events, and you host it at your house. So I would say I completely agree with all statements you made, but I would marry that to the fact that you're also willing to put the time and effort on the other end. And if someone else had the cube and they didn't have the availability, but they had the get up and go to make events and invite people and do all that, or they had the get up and go, but didn't have the availability, but it seems that you have both. So it's kind of a perfect marriage of your talents as an organizer and your ambition as in that way, but also your trustworthiness and... How does that play into the cube, rather, play into the space within our play group? Because we're a pretty competitive, you know, four spikes or a spiky group. You know, we have a lot of tournament players. We have a lot of uh, very competitive players within that cube, right? And nonetheless, there's no real prizes we win from cube. It's not really sharpening our skills uh, specifically for a format that is right now tournament playable. But even with all those competitive players we're still willing to donate time to all get together for your house to have a barbecue and sit down and play this awesome cube. Why do you think that is, and what space does it exactly occupy within our playgroup? Okay, so a couple things, right? One is, it's a cube in general. is as competitive as you want it to be. Mm. Uh, I think that when we play, don't get me wrong, I think that for the most part we have uh, a very good-natured and like genial playgroup when it comes to playing cube. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, in general. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, but we are people who, in general, really care about like correct play, good yes, play. Absolutely, we want to win. The prize doesn't matter. The fact that it's just maybe a couple of packs on the line—that's not important. The, the the fact is, we want to win in general, right? And that carries over into cube fine. So that's not really an issue. Uh, the other side of it is, I think it kind of itches, scratches an itch for for spikes with the, like a little bit of an inner Timmy, mm-hmm. where you can do really spiky things because of all the powerful cards in just ridiculous ways. Like where you're just like, Oh my God, I just did this super sure. combo. Absolutely. Like, yeah. My, and, and my Johnny, my Johnny gets out on fire whenever I play. <laughs> and the, well, the nice thing is if you're a spike, right? You don't have to feel guilty about that when you're playing yeah, Q. That's a good point. Because it's super powerful cards. 
it, it, you know, you, again, it's that hindrance of, of winning. You're 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 winning doing that stuff. So it's not like you're like, oh, I've got this six four crawl worm, uh, you know, and and super excited about this, and everyone else is like, so, you know, <laughs> right? You know, that's not competitively sure, good, sure. even though it might be amazing for a Timmy, right? Right. You know, when you're recurring squee with right. like survival or something, right? Doing just dumb things, searching up all these different creatures, right? That's a that's a Timmy moment, right? But it's also a very spike moment. So right. this is like confluence. Oh, that's a, that's a great way to describe it. And, and Caleb, I know you've experienced that quite a few times. Oh, absolutely. I think beyond that, there's just the case that playing more magic makes you better at magic. So in the sense that, yes, it's accurate that this isn't preparing for a specific format or a specific tournament, mm-hmm. but clearly um, you just get many more principles that are active in something like a cube compared to any block or, mm-hmm. or also many formats. And that, I think, is fantastic just to get you thinking about the game in a different way. And you'll often find applications, this crazy squee combo that Tom put together in Cube doesn't necessarily translate over to standard, but... Not anymore. It did back then, and that was awesome. Back oh, back man. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great time. In any case, yeah. So you'll find some odd angles to attack the, uh, the standard metagame with weird, quirky things you picked up in a cube. Fascinating. I never thought about that. That's a really good point. Also, something that I just thought of, too, is if you are a tournament player, a competitive mm-hmm. tournament player, and you've had a couple of years under your belt, mm-hmm. which many of the dedicated playgroup have, mm-hmm. it's kind of like playing with the greatest hits of cards that you played with before right. in tournaments. So it's kind of like a nice, comforting feeling where you're like, oh, factor fiction, just like I used to. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. That's absolutely true. Well, it's, also, it's also a real nice change of pace if you're you're grinding out playtesting for whatever the the popular format is. Mm-hmm. So if it's like if it's standard PTQ season, and right right after that PTQ, you are like, Ugh. so having having a queue kind of just gets you a chance to to play some magic, keep those skills current while not having to deal with that same set of cards, and then you can go back to grind grinding out your yeah your your season of of choice at that time. And on the note of greatest hits, I, I certainly agree, but also as someone who wasn't necessarily playing competitively at that time, it's really fun to have the chance to play Factor Fiction into Psychotog mm-hmm. or, or something insane like that that mm-hmm. we didn't get to experience when it was there, mm-hmm. but uh, we can now. Absolutely. Uh, and, and Kurt, you've, I mean, you're a man of many formats. You don't really care what you play. Where does Cube fit into your kind of hierarchy of magic? Well, I, I like, uh, like Greg said, I kind of like Cube for the downtime, mm-hmm. and especially during block season, when block season can be a little bit boring as far as right. drafting goes. It's literally it's the just, least amount of variety. Yeah. Right. And uh, Cube just has a lot more variety, so there's, I especially been looking forward to playing Cube during mm-hmm. that. Does it always change then? Is it always at a different level depending on what season we're in and what we're doing? Oh, yeah. If there's, okay. like when Eldrazi was out, I did not want a cube. Okay. Agreed. Eldrazi is one of the best draft yeah. formats yeah. ever. Yeah. Why, okay. If we could be drafting Eldrazi, why, yeah, why, why? And I think we yeah. did take a little lull in cube during Eldrazi. That's too. true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, Eldrazi was one of the few formats that had a lot of variety and constant puzzles to figure out and how to draft that. That was always shifting. That's a good point. If, if you want to give one more plug to the amount of community building that having that trust in that group and that process has, I think it's it's another benefit, you know what I mean, to the to the group because while we're playtesting together and while we're discussing theory together, this is more of a kind of it's 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 another level 
of uh, proactive community building where, of course, we'll share cards, you know, for a particular form, we want to build these decks or those decks, we want to play this or that. And amongst us, we can make that happen. But this is really a, ne- a next step in that. And I think that it's really, I mean, have you found that that is, you know, as far as just the community building, like you're saying, it's really kind of another level of that that you don't really get in any other, in, a, in any other way, right? You know, John, while you've been talking about this, one thing did occur to me about Cube when it comes to actually having, a, again, a community-based approach to the whole kind of building. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a way for us to be uh, cooperative in a game that is fundamentally uh, antagonistic. You know, you've got hmm. an opponent. And you could say the same thing about playtesting play in a way, but it's not the same when you're still aiming that, that kind of playtesting at an opponent, mm-hmm. right? Totally agree. I think so, that's a fantastic point. So this mm-hmm. is a way, and you know what? Actually, this is huge. We're, we're all geeks, right? And we all love making little lists or hierarchies. Of <laughs> we love talking about stats, and, and this is better than this preparing. because of that's that's a good point. Z, and, and you know what? That's a you know, and and being able to set up an argument for that and go back and forth between why. I'm just going to bring it up because we talked about it before the show, and it's kind of, it's still a sore note with me, but Dreadscape Zombie is still in the cube, <laughs> and that, and some people love it, and some people don't. I think, I, can, I don't know if there's been anyone else who's really had my back on this one besides, I think, Bobby Hill and Jameson, I think, were the other two. Was it? Dreadscape Zombie. Okay, so it's a two, it's, a, it's one in the black, it's a two-one zombie, right? I think. Yep. With Unearth for... Yep. One? Yep, for black. For black. Correct. So, to me, and and I'll go into this when I talk about my cube and the difference between Tom's cube and my cube, but to me, almost every single card in the cube should either be redonkulously fun or a windmill slam, and Dreadscape Zombie equals neither of those, although that's a big difference between my cube and Tom's cube. It's a, a lot of linear focuses that my cube does not allow for, such as a zombie strategy, right? And then there was, I think, was, I don't know if Goblins is still in. Did we take that out? Um, so we've been struggling with uh, both of the tribal sub-themes, Zombies and Goblins, okay. with the move to 16. It wouldn't be as big of an issue if we weren't so dogmatic about the high power level <laughs> in the cube. <laughs> but we are. We've kept some of the zombie lords in that are good on their own. Mm-hmm. And there are a fair amount of uh, black creatures that are just good and mm-hmm. happen to be zombies, uh, partly because black creatures in general are just bad. So there aren't very many good ones to pick from. So that th- th- you can kind of draft a, a zombie deck still, but it's it's difficult to do mm-hmm. in a sixteen-person uh, cube. You know, if you've got an eight-man cube, right, you can gonna, do those tribal sub themes, right. and, and they can be very strong. Right, in a sixteen-man, if you have eight people. Even if you have 16 people, it's possible you would never see a lord, even if it tabled. Right. Right. Yeah, or, I mean, you might do two draft pods of eight or something, and then, sure. you know, yeah. Okay. So, so, but the, but it does allow for more linear strategies, and that's something that's encouraged. Um, and, and more aggressive strategies, too, I would say. Mm-hmm. Where you need the redundancy of right. grizzly bears, you need, you need X amount of two drops, Right to just beat down consistently mm-hmm. in order to beat the most powerful control cards in the game. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, should we mention maybe uh, it's a good time to bring up a couple websites you mentioned before the show, CubeDrafting.com, 
which I've checked out and is a phenomenal resource, right? Excellent. Yes. I, I definitely check it out to see what other people are up to. Right. And would you say for anyone that wants to build a cube, or even people that have cubes, if they want to prove upon it, might want to check it out? It's probably your first stop. Yeah. I, I agreed. I would, I would further emphasize that in that one of the features that I, they have, because I looked at the site before coming over here, and they'll draw up sample hands out of the cube, mm-hmm. uh, sample packs, I should say, mm-hmm. which is, again, if you're considering building a cube and wondering whether all the effort is worth it, just glance at a few of those opening packs <laughs> and think about drafting those cards. It's pretty exciting. And that'll really kind of give you a tie into the, the emotional experience of drafting the cube. I mean, honestly, can, having yeah. read about this in anticipation of, of being on the show today, my first inclination was, why am I doing anything other than cube drafting right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, well put, kid. Yeah. <laughs> well put. And I can see when you're talking about that, as looking over Greg and his eyes lit up at the idea of first picking a lava lanch. Yeah, no. Um, well, it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy when you start getting into some of those some of those hands. How many cards that normally would be just absolute windmill slams in the format they were originally uh, drafted or originally intended, and having seven cards that are instant windmill slams in your hand, and then seven or eight cards that are like, wow, that's really good, too, to stare down. I mean, it's just, it's such a different experience than saying, okay, I've got this list of the, the, the four best cards or the uh, the four, four best non-rare cards in, in this set that I'm going to be drafting if I see it, and oh, there's this hierarchy that I know, and it becomes almost, um, it, it becomes so second nature and automatic that you're not really thinking that much during some of those those experiences when you're drafting like a, uh, a, a, a non-cube format. And in a cube, you have those opportunities to, wow, I've got two different moxes in my hand, you know, or I've got a mox and a skull clamp. I mean, that, some of those, are, you know, a skull clamp, skull clamp. But, you know, there, there, these cards at the same time, it's, just, it's a very crazy interaction, and it's a lot of fun. And when you're sitting around a table with your friends and you pick up a, uh, your third your pack for the third pick, it's it's really amazing to flip through, and you'll hear this all around the table. People saying, why is this still here? How come there's still a never yep. disc, a four-minute artifact that blows up the whole board? Or maybe flipping all the way to the back and say seeing Dreadscape Zombie and saying, why is this here? <laughs> <laughs> For maybe a little different reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and it's so funny to see a cryptic command in your first pack, and it has that be your first card, and be like, meh. Be like, is there yeah. any Moxes? Is there, <laughs> is there Lotus? Is there a Library of Alexandria? Nope, okay, I guess I'll take Cryptic Command. And, and, be, and be upset. <laughs> well, I, would, upset, I would never be upset but, about drafting Cryptic Command, but it's not in a cube. It's you're not. It's excited. not nearly as excited. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing I would caution against, and this is something that came up with my cube, and I want to hear about you, is playing with people you're not familiar with. I've had a couple instances where cards have gone missing. I've also had, and that's because I am someone who actively encourages tons of people to come draft, and I much more so before. Work really kicked up, kicked up in this last couple months, and the big project will be over the 14th, thank God, and we can hopefully get back to drafting more often, but uh, at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is that tons of people were coming through, especially in the heyday, especially when the cube first got started. Some people I knew pretty well, some people are friends of friends, 
whatever it is. And, you know, I've had to be a little more cautious, although I'm still very encouraging. And, and if anyone's in the Milwaukee area, hit me up and hopefully we can draft together sometime. And the other thing was I had an instance at, this was at, I think this was at MMCG. Yeah, we, you know, for some reason, the folks there didn't want to draft. They, would, they preferred to draft the cube, and they were asking if we could do it, and I was all excited. And there was one guy there I'm not going to mention, but I don't like very much to this day, and this is a big part of the reason why, but I didn't really like him before, and I shouldn't, I should have thought better of it, but we needed him for even numbers, and he really wanted to play, so I was like, okay, you can play. And in the middle of, and I, and I don't have all the power in my cube, and I'll go over my cube later, and we can discuss specifics, but I don't have all the power in it. I don't have, I'm not super baller like that, but I do have really good proxies. And what it was, was I found, uh, Ed actually traded me a bunch of these great proxies he happened to come upon, and uh, I, I, I think actually I bought them, I don't know if I traded for them, but anyway, I bought all these proxies from him, and one of them was Black Lotus, and all the, and all the Moxes, and all these ones, and they had this little symbol, so it's obviously not, you know, it has a little symbol on it that shows it's a fake set, I can't remember what the symbol is, but it's something ridiculous, it obviously looks like a fake set. But it's definitely not alpha, it's definitely not beta, it's definitely not unlimited, because those all don't have little right. set markers. So anyway, in the middle of the draft, I'm, you know, doing my thing, and I'm in the middle of a turn or something, and someone's like, hey, is this real? And before I could, like, turn around and say no, I see this guy, I'm not going to mention again, but I really don't like, and he picks it up, and he's like, no, this isn't a real Lotus, I don't think so. And he, like, takes it out and does the bend test. I don't know if any of you know. Oh my god! I don't know if any of you know what the bend test is out there. But it's a stupid thing that people thought that they can do, and some people like I don't know where it actually came from. I remember from way back in the day when all the fake cards started coming on. You had to see if it was real, and you know sometimes a card be attached to another card or whatever it was. And some people might not even know how to do it, but some people don't. And this guy didn't. And so he takes this obviously fa- has a freaking symbol in it, not alpha or beta, and it has a, he takes it. Bends it in half, and now there's a big crease in my fake Black Lotus, which, it's like, I'm never going to be able to get another one of those, because who knows where it came upon. And second of all, now it looks all janked up, when it looked perfectly fine before. And third of all, it's obviously not real. It has a symbol in it. Beta, alpha, it has a symbol. So, all that to say, playing with people you don't know that well, or don't trust, or both, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever experienced something like that? Um, sure. Uh, I'd, I'd love <laughs> to talk about that. Uh, first of all, I want to tell you, Jonathan, that if that's the worst thing that's happened to you uh, by having a huge amount of your collection basically available to the public, um, it really says something about the quality of player that you're drafting with, mm-hmm. and in the Milwaukee area in general. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, let's absolutely. let's be real. That's with one exception. It was almost, well, it, was, it was so, it was even it does, worse because it's right. like happening in slow motion. And before I was like, <laughs> you know, like the, you know, <laughs> the whole thing is going on. And I like, and I see, and, and, you know, the whole thing was like a horror movie. I like seeing this thing bent. Like, ah. <laughs> and I know it's not real. It's not a real Lotus. I probably would have gone completely insane if it was, but still it's just like, no. So yeah, it was more traumatizing than bad. It's not worth probably anything and whatever. I'm sorry you had to go through that. <sighs> However, there are probably worse things. So, uh, so let me talk a little bit about um, that situation because to, for me, the biggest concern for me is that I don't own all the cards in the cube that I, that I mm-hmm. am the keeper of. Mm-hmm. So I have a responsibility to other people who are trusting me mm-hmm. to keep their cards safe. And I have done cube drafts at places other than my house. Mm-hmm. I don't really like doing that for 
all the reasons that you kind of stated above, but it's a great opportunity to get that cube into the larger populace, right? And to uh, expose people to, to who maybe haven't drafted or wouldn't have an opportunity to draft the cube to do it. And every single time that I've been in this situation, despite often having deep misgivings about uh, doing so, I've chosen to put myself out there, put the cube out there to do that. And I have never been disappointed. The, the return on that increase in community, you, you just have to take risks like that. You mm-hmm. have to believe the good in people. And when in doubt, you can proxy it. You don't actually have to put in your Jace the Mind Sculptor. If, if that's something that you're concerned about. And no one would fault you for that. No one gets bent out of shape that we don't have a real time walk. And it helps when you have great artists who are willing to, you know, help to proxy Moxon and things like that. But it's okay, you know, no one cares. And if, if you want to make it a very complete and authentic cube with all the power in there, more, that's, that's great. You can absolutely do that. But you don't have to. If it makes you less paranoid as a cube curator or owner, then it's probably better to, to proxy things up. I will say that after three, um, roughly three years, I don't know, maybe four years of, of owning or whatever it is that I'm doing, curating this cube, we have had one card go missing that we couldn't find. Mm-hmm. One card. Boros Signet. <sighs> we could not find the freaking Boros Signet. I don't know where it went. You know what? I think I can hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, right? It wasn't a big deal. I had 12 more sitting around from when I drafted Ravnica. So it wasn't wasn't a huge deal, but of all that, all the money cards and everything, you know, the one time that we actually couldn't find, and there have been some times when we thought one was missing, we thought there was a dual land missing, and it had just been one of those situations where we it kind of stuck together the two sleeves, and, sure. you know. So you have to be real diligent about that. But the other thing is, I it's it's like the sort of thing where you like on the side of the road where you've got like fruit out, you know, or something, and then you've got a box for money, but the box is like locked down, right? So you're, you're trusting people to put the money in there if they're going to take the fruit. But you're not going to actually, you know, not just leave the box, like, out there for people to easily take, to tempt right. them, right? Yeah. I always make it clear that I'm counting the cards after a draft. I've kind of gotten lax, actually, about this. But usually I make sure that people know when I'm sorting the cards out and that I'm counting the numbers before people leave. <laughs> so they know that if they decide to get sneaky or whatever and take a card... Well, we're going to be aware of that, mm-hmm. right? And there's a bunch of people who care a lot about this cube in the room who maybe have cards in there themselves. Well, and I guess that provides another level of security. Security, because, absolutely. Yeah, if you think about it, you have like 30 people coming after you. And not only that, not and, and in, in, in a couple ways, I guess, but I really mean the scrutiny and your credibility, the risk-benefit there might be just overwhelming for someone, especially in a community situation like that. But let me put it like this. Kurt, how many cards have you stolen from the cube? <laughs> Zero. See? It works. <laughs> this <system> works. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that is a good point that, you know, if you do have a lot of people... That, that are invested, it's going to be real hard for anybody to even take that first step of thinking about it because it's Look, just... I mean, Magic players are jerks, right? I mean, we all know this. Yeah. And some of the people that I draft with are the worst possible scoundrels. Right, they love the cube, yeah. and they wouldn't disrespect it <laughs> because they enjoy yeah. playing with it, Absolutely. and they wouldn't want us to have to take it apart or or for people to lose interest right. because they don't want their cards uh, stolen. Yeah, I was being facetious about that stuff. Plus, to stay behind afterwards, having drafted at Tom's house and help sort out the cards means that you have a guaranteed audience for your bad beat stories. 
True story. <laughs> True story. There are lots of those. Yeah, so all of us who get tore up by, by Caleb get to share our, our woe together. <laughs> yeah, and Caleb, in, I've, I've noticed that you have, you have a real affinity for a certain set of colors, one in particular, black. I almost always see you draft black. Why is that? Interesting. I would have said that blue-black is... I, I would say blue-black, but I've seen you draft other things. I've seen you draft black exclusively, almost. I've almost never seen you not draft black, I but I have because he always gets bitter blossom. Yeah, that, that helps. I mean, I, had, <laughs> I have drafted mono-red once, but I whined about it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Did I you win that draft? Probably. Probably. I was second. <laughs> I think this, this is perhaps <laughs> also attached to what we enjoy about the game of Magic. I really like a tempo kind of grinding card game so blue and black really provide those colors i mean my favorite cards are vendillion click and man of war and trinket mage again interesting so, not not some of the highest power cards in the cube mm-hmm. but very effective mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i'll very often find myself on that kind of a tempo strategy trying to grind out small advantages interesting and, and kurt i notice you also have a very familiar strategy that you almost exclusively come back to. Would you like to explain? Don't draft white. <laughs> well, I've seen you draft white if you get Wrath of God or other creature supers. I, I wasn't going to say Armageddon, because that's my favorite. We can talk about that later, but go ahead. No, I just like uh, cards that can control, you, where you're controlling what's happening in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone overextends, I want to be able to punish them mm-hmm. with a card like, like Armageddon mm-hmm. or... Uh, the Wrath of God type of effects. Well, you, you like, and, and you, you picked Jockle Hops pretty high, right? Uh, I haven't seen it for a while, but I have picked it high. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just for those reasons. And, mm-hmm. But, of course, you got to splash blue for the counter spells or the, um, you know, the, the uh, Mystic Snake type thing. Get a little advantage, too, out of that. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to draft a winning deck without drafting blue? If you go aggro green or aggro red, I think you definitely can. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once we finish up with Tom, I don't know, we can talk a little bit more, but Tom's cube is very democratic. He has a lot of input. He shared a lot. My cube was inspired by Tom's because it's so freaking fun, but a lot of times Tom would get out of work at different times. Our schedules are very different, and I got pissed that I didn't get to cube more often. So like many things in my life, when I don't get to do someone else's, I'll just make my own and make it the way I think it should be. So I made my own cube the way I thought it should be, and I made it with Sean, actually. I don't know if you guys all knew that. We originally made it together. Actually, the noob is what it was titled because it was originally not going to be as good as your cube because we wanted to have. A, well, I particularly wanted to focus on multicolor stuff because I'm more comfortable with that, and that's my kind of bread and butter. And he wanted some just ridiculously fun cards, such as Fungal Shambler. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's pretty crazy. And that's another thing is that my so some of the differences. My cube started off as a 16 pack cube. I didn't start at 8 and then go to 10, 12, or whatever. I just started off 16 right away because I thought that was the best way to go for me. I was originally partnered up with Sean. I ended up finding it too confusing to keep track of whose card was who, and it was just too much with our schedules and everything else. So I just basically bought him out, and I, I can't remember if I gave him actually cash or packs or cards or a combination thereof. I host regular cubes when I can, hopefully for my birthday. Maybe we'll, we'll bust it out again. But it's completely different in the sense that it's only my decisions. And I'll take input from other people, and I like to hear their thoughts. But I'm the decision maker, as George Bush is fond of saying. They say, I'm the decider? Something like that? <laughs> I can't do a good George Bush impression, but <laughs> that's how it would sound. I'm just saying, So anyway, however it sounds. So I have veto power, and that's how 
at roles. And I would say that I can definitely see some advantages and some disadvantages to that. Now, some of the disadvantages are pretty uh, clear to me, which is that there is a swingy level of power. And some cards are just not as powerful or more powerful than I think, and other cards vice versa. And although I do accept a lot of input and I get a lot of people's feedback, it's not nearly the level that you get, Tom, and that you have going into it. Now, my cube is much more balanced. And I also had a realization, in my cube, the power level of blue is just insane. In Tom's cube, you've, you've cut cards like Ancestral Recall, for example, right? You, you just don't have that in there. Right. Uh, Ancestral Recall is not in our cube. Because mm-hmm. um, it was deemed too powerful? Yeah, and as as was Black Lotus. There mm-hmm. were... Those are probably the only... Oh, and Mind Twist for being unfun. Mm-hmm. But those are probably the only three cards... Caleb, that, Caleb is, is about to bust again. Uh, yeah. Uh, unfun for who, he would say, I right, think. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, Before I picked Bitter Blossom every game, I picked Mind Twist every game. <laughs> <laughs> who wouldn't? <laughs> but no. So those are probably the only three did things that made the game unfun. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, the kind of ethos of the whole cube... Mm-hmm. Is is the most power possible? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I would I would uh, also emphasize that in my cube, the way that it's turned out, blue is by far the most powerful color. I've talked to a lot of people about this. I've tried to temper it a little bit. I I run red elemental blast and pyroblast in my cube in red. Red is not powerful enough. Blue is too powerful. I put those in. Didn't work. Blue is still too powerful. Red is still not powerful enough. So I've had to flood. Flood one blue for an enchantment, two blue tap target non flying creature. Oh no! So uh, maybe it's tsunami. Destroy all islands. Tsunami. Tsunami is, is good. Or boil. It's even <laughs> better as an instant yeah. uh, for three and a red. And I thought about and, and actually, punish, you know what? I might punish blue. Well, it's funny that you mentioned boil. I was having this conundrum after a draft, and I was really upset. And someone mentioned boil to me. He says, "Why don't you just run boil too?" I said, "You know what? Blue is too freaking powerful." And all these hate cards I could run, or I could just artificially beef up all the other colors. Because really, there's a couple of different things you can do. You can hate it out, you can neuter blue, taking out some of the powerful cards, Time Walk, Ancestral, etc. Or, you can just make your own cards, which is what I've done. And I guess I can go over a couple of those now. I was gonna, I was gonna wait a little bit, but I have them with me, and I picked out some of the key cards uh, that I think turned out pretty, pretty well for what they were, and I've just decided to go on Magic Set Editor, make some of my own cards. I got a lot of input from people first, and Greg, you wanted to mention that, right, before I show Yeah, because you got, we want to caution listeners that are, are going to make their own cubes or, or already have cubes and are, are taking some of, uh, some of our advice, that if you do go the route of, of making cards, be very, very careful to not break cards too much and make them too insane powerful. And also... Um, you want to you want to make sure that they're that they're fun and that they're powerful enough to warrant inclusion. Mm-hmm. So I mean, making cards is an art and it is it is not something that that is easily done. And all almost all, if not every single card that you did create was was created initially by you, but then lots of input from yeah. pretty much everybody that you know that that likes cubes or whatever. Well, I would say yeah, I would say I've got about half the cards have gotten a good amount of feedback. And then the other half, people just didn't have time to look over or whatever. But the real feedback, and this is what I would recommend from my experience, is experience is the best teacher. So get the feedback, make your cards if you want to or don't want to, but play it out and let people decide what they think. And that's the best way. Because, Absolutely. for example, something that no one mentioned, and I guess I can start it off with a multicolored, was Greg's card. 
which did not get vetted properly beforehand, and we found out was way too broken. I'll read, really good. <laughs> I'll read Craig's card. It was the first and one of the only Planeswalkers. I also made one for Julio, but it's in Craig's likeness. It's actually his last name, which to me almost sounds like Ogre, so I made I just kept it Ogrenik or whatever, and Gergs, which is kind of like Greg. So that's the name, Ogrenik Gergs, Planeswalker. It's three red, green, for... And this, this will be kind of like our cube spoilers, I guess, because people haven't seen these cards before. So those are... Cube edition of spoilers, since we're so happy with the other spoilers. It's three green red, so converted mana cost five for three loyalty planeswalker. Plus, it was originally plus two. Target creature gets a plus one plus one counter and gains trample. Minus two, destroy target land and deal two damage to target creature or player. Minus seven, destroy four target lands and deal four damage to all creatures your opponent controls. Now. You, I think, Kurt, were the last one to draw. And it was passed to you, right? It was passed. You're, it was passed it been fourth that pick, I think. It, it, was fourth. it was ridiculous. I was so happy to see it. Well, why don't you explain... Or well, One ahead. thing I think you should specify, Jonathan, uh, speaking of the community-building aspects of the cube, mm-hmm. is when you say this is Greg car- Greg's card, mm-hmm. you uh, literally mean this is Greg's card. Right. You, you've obviously put his name at the top, yep. and I think I see his visage on the picture. Yep. So this is uh, this is kind of a, a fun and interesting community building thing that you've done with some of the additions. Maybe you should briefly mention that. Okay, that's a good point. I guess I, I can touch on that first. And I've brought out a couple of examples. I have Tom's card in here, Caleb's card. I didn't put your card in, Kurt. I have I have uh, Rhino's card, and um, I've made some cards with some of my friends that some of them represent a lot of their characteristic. Like Alexis is just a you know, windmill slam, getcha, like attacking, hasty, you know, kind of beast because she likes that type of stuff. And I thought of her, uh, Tom's, you're kind of more of a thoughtful, I think, kind of think of you as a white player. Um, you know, that I, I don't know why, but I, your skin color possibly, but I thought of, I thought of this card for you. Um, it's, and, and I'll go over it. Uh, Greg, I have no idea where this, where the Genesis came from, <laughs> but it's just a windmill slam of a good card. Uh, Caleb, obviously yours is inspired by you and your brother. Um, Kurt, the name just By the fit. way, Caleb's card was also very broken. Yeah, Kurt we, thinks We Caleb's were talking fit. about turn one in uh, Caleb. Yeah. Well, and, his, and his brother. Well, yes. let's tell what that card is. Yeah, we'll, we'll go over the cards right now. Um, but, uh, so Greg's card um, was broken. Why, Kurt? Uh, just being able to recursively stone rain <laughs> is ridiculous. Even and if it drops us down to one loyalty after the first use? Well... I'm saying as the card was initially built, mm-hmm. I, I was able to stone rain someone every other turn, mm-hmm. and you know if, if they're mana deprived at all, it's like the game's over and they're and they're bored and annoyed with the game, mm-hmm. and uh, that that kind of happened with my opponents, especially okay. because they played gating lands, and then to blow that up Oof. was just like a two turn backup. Wow. And they, by gating land, you mean land when it comes to play, return another land, right? Hand. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. so that makes sense. So, and your suggestion was. Uh, that if we just could limit uh, how fast the loyalty counters got built back so up. So instead of so. a plus two for its... Right. And the, the interesting thing I thought about Kayla... Well, this is where I was coming from with Greg's card, was the plus two loyalty, which I agree should be at, at maybe plus one, and maybe we can even limit it further because it does seem too good, but the plus two loyalty says target creature gets a plus one, plus one counter and gains trample. Now, if you have no creatures on the board and you want to pump this gap, you have to pump your opponent's creature. It doesn't pump all your creatures, it just pumps one... Although the trample never goes away, which is cool. Uh, but it's it's something that, if there's no creatures on the board, you can't pump it. So I thought that was... I, I, when I was designing it, that was one of the balancing things. But it really didn't work that way, right? It was no. just too good. And yeah. it's also it's also a five-cost 
it's a five cost three loyalty planeswalker. So it's not. I mean, there there are aspects of it that are really well, you know, finely designed. But being able to every other turn, right, use it, you know, to to make the game unfun and you know and just win is is not is not what we want to do with that type of card. And so, so you so Kurt's suggestion was to bump it up instead plus two plus one. And you think that'll fix it, Caleb? Oh, maybe maybe rather than uh, discussing very much on Greg's card. This is a very interesting card, interesting design, and definitely a lot of discussion we could have over this card, but uh, maybe we should just jump back um, a little bit further, wider picture. Jonathan, if you want to just talk a little bit more about the process of creating these new cards and maybe okay. some of the cards that worked really well okay, and, and match the power level that you wanted. Idea. Okay, that's a great idea. Well, one of, the, one of my favorite... I'll, I'll go over uh, my four favorite cards that I've designed quickly. Uh, one of them is Mirror Shield Knight. It's white-white for 2-2 two, two first strike. It has an ability which is zero to activate. The next two damage that we'd be dealt to Mirror Shield Knight is instead dealt to target creature or player instead. This ability may only be used once per turn. And what I really liked about this is that I really don't like White Knight, and I really don't like all the variations of White and Black Knight that are in it, but they have to be because no other card occupies that space, and for what it, it has to be in there, but... I really don't like it because to me it's not a cute, it's not a windmill slam card. It's not super fun to me. It's not super good to me. That was my impression, and it really annoyed me that I had to play with those. So I says, well, maybe I'll make a 2 2 for 2 with first strike that I really like. And that's where this guy came into play. And so far, I found his power level completely adequate for what I'm looking for, and I've gotten a great response from everyone that's played with them. And I don't know if you guys have got to play with him, what your thoughts are, but do you have any, any feedback you want to give on him before I move on? just seems like a really great design. It seems very powerful in the White Knight family, mm-hmm. uh, which is what you said, and I think it's perfect uh, in accordance with kind of Tom's goals of making different strategies viable, mm-hmm. not, not uh, overbalancing in favor of control. Okay, so uh, moving right along, uh, there's two red cards, and red was by far the most underpowered in my cube. Is that it's obviously not the case in yours? I actually disagree. Red is the least powerful color in our cube as well. Oh, really? Oh, okay, absolutely. Okay, well, my my mistake then. I apologize. I, I have only been the impression from my drafting it, but um, but I will always draft blue cards, so you know I'm biased. But anyway, uh, what do you know about red? Yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing that's interesting is that your cube plays ball light. Mine does not. Yeah. And part of that is because and ball lightning is an incredibly good busted card. But my initial thoughts were that I wanted to not in, I wanted to have as many cards with as much variety and opportunity for different plays as possible, and as little linear cards like kind of structure, if that makes any sense, as possible. Whereas Yours is about a lot of different strategies, and even some that are already known. I'm all about discovering things that have never been done, even if it's not very good, which is often how I end up losing some of the tournaments I've been in with my rogue decks. But let's just tell the truth, John. <laughs> okay, you're you're just biased against aggro. Like that's, that's the bottom true. line. I mean, everything you've said so far about hating white and black knights, mm-hmm. about ball lightning. Mm-hmm. What what you need in a cube mm-hmm. in order for aggro to be viable mm-hmm. is. First of all, you need the the color fixing to be to a point where mm-hmm. uh, you control control decks can't just splash whatever they want. Mm-hmm. The most powerful control cards, right? And second, you need redundancy at like two, three, and to, to a lesser extent, four drop slots mm-hmm. for for just really good aggressive creatures. And what that means is you have to, you know, I'm using air quotes 
water down right. the, the cube with these with these bears and, and efficient beaters. Right. Absolutely. You know, the best efficient beaters in the game. And I'll completely like ball lightning. Yeah, I'll completely like white knight and <clears throat> dragscape zombie. Dragscape zombie. Thank you. That, <laughs> that even gives I'll you never, reach. I'll never agree with that. But that even gives you reach to kill him later. Yeah. Well, you know, so that's that's why we have two cubes. But uh, I completely, <laughs> but I completely agree that I am biased against uh, aggro. So I've tried to temper that. Mirror Shield Knight is a good example. I have two more examples to share. One is Pregnant Raging Goblin. You're all familiar with Raging Goblin. This is Pregnant Raging Goblin. It is red for a two-two haste. When Pregnant Raging Goblin is put into graveyard from the battlefield, target opponent puts two zero one Goblin baby tokens onto the battlefield under their control. So I don't know why I chose that name. It was the it was the only flavor thing I could think of, but it does exactly what I wanted it to do, and that's that's just how it happened to fit with the with the naming of it. It is a super red card to me. Like red does not care about and and I think Marshall made this point on his show, The Limited Resources, which is a great podcast as well about magic. But red will give up all the card advantage in the world. It does not care about anything. It just wants to go to the dome and bring it. So this is like a perfect red card because it's like, I don't care if I give you a bunch of blockers that could probably prevent more than two damage each one. That this I just want to attack. You know, it's just a super red card. And it has a big drawback, but it has a big advantage. And with this and other hasters, as we saw, I don't know if the, did you draft this last time? I know Bobby Hill had it in his when he was... Destroying with it, but I, I didn't draft. I didn't draft that particular red card. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I, I like playing aggro in cube because it's more fun than some alternative aggro mm-hmm. opportunities when you're not playing cube. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I I I try and force aggro because I know that control is so powerful mm-hmm. and so widely drafted in, in cube. Oh, so, so, so I like a meta game call. Absolutely. So okay. so that's that's why you know, John colors are, are are frequently drafted for me because they're they're sure. they're more. They're more aggro focused than they are. Well, and yeah, well, and the other important point, which is the John Colors include Lavalanche. Moving along, you're going to love this next. Card. <laughs> Just kidding, but you're going to love this this next card then, which you've already seen. I think Goblin Bastards, which is my favorite card of all the ones that you know that I've, I'm the most proud of. This one, it's one red red for a tribal sorcery goblin. Put three one one Goblin tokens onto the battlefield. They have when this creature is put into a graveyard, it deals one damage to a creature player. So it's almost, it's Mog Fanatic-y, except now it's even better because it deals its damage and then gets to ping. And it's something I think Red really needed because it gets a lot of damage through. But it's also kind of a very Jonathan card because it allows for, there's, it's, it's, it's not necessarily just a linear strategy. There's other things you can do that you can use it to, you know, sometimes to, you need to take out Planeswalker, sometimes you need to, you know, play defensively with it, and it's a great defensive card, potentially. There's a lot of different options that it allows for, while still, I think, being a pretty powerful, aggressive card. A turn three... You can play it like a Keldon Marauders, if yep. you want, right? The 3-3 three, three that pings when it comes into play and leaves play mm-hmm. with uh, Vanishing. Yep. But also, right, you can do a whole bunch of other things with it. Yeah, so so the, so that was the other card. And then there's one last card I wanted to talk about, which is a card that I actually built to take out players like myself and like Kurt, who love blue and value card advantage and are, I guess, quote-unquote, you know, whatever. We're into that type of stuff. This is a card that it pained me to make, but I felt it had to be because I thought, you know, types of players like Kurt and whoever were winning too much. Mind Piercing Shade. Three in a black, so convert mana cost four for a 1-4 flying creature. It's a shade. Whenever a player draws a card, they lose one life. 
And me and Kurt had a lot of discussion about this. He did everything he could to dissuade me from it. And as much as it pained me, I wanted to put it in there because Ancestral and everything else that's in the cube, I'm not taking it out, but I want to balance it. And I want to have other options that can win. And this seems to me like the exact type of card that is necessary for some of those other strategies to get there. Uh, our, our resident black player in the house, Caleb, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this card because you also like drawing as well as black. Absolutely. Um, I really like the idea of, of that really fits the aggro style of making the game much shorter and punishing the cantripping and drawing that we all like to do. And If there's anything that might dissuade me from casting Brainstorm, maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Just grin and bear it. Maybe. It's worth it. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's a, a, a very balanced card that is very black. I mean, you, the, the text is it's great. I, I think it's a great card. I got a little flavor text I kind of want to share. Everyone knows that ignorance is bliss, but few know the pain of knowledge. I like that. That's pretty good. Okay. That's good flavor text. Those are my favorite ones. I'm just going to go over a couple. I'll go over two more because Greg is, is giving me the wrap-up sign. One I want to go over is the Angry Rhino, uh, which is uh, a two green greens, four commercial mana cost for four three, indestructible, provoke, and it has trample. Which it's seen play. I don't know why, but it keeps getting in the cubes that we've and people draft it very high, and it's seen a lot of play. And there's, I, I don't think there's, I think there's been one call to have it neutered, but there's been a lot of calls saying it's super fun, super good, and it does exactly what it should do. What do you guys think? I agree with the last the last comment. I think it's super fun. I think it does exactly what it should do. Provokes insane, indestructible on a green creature. You know, it just, I think it's great. It's very green. Almost too good. I played it uh, the last draft I was in, and I just felt like he was a house. People, I mean, he was eventually dealt with. You know, there are O-rings and things like that. that can It's a lot of sacrifice it. in my cube. Yeah. So, I mean, he was dealt with, but I just, when I had him on the table, I just felt like invincible for a while. Mm-hmm. I have not played with this card, so uh, take, take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. But I don't think that green needs a card of this power level, mm-hmm. because I think that with... In the, within the last, say, two years, three years possibly, uh, green has en- enough ridiculous things that it can do mm-hmm. that it just it just doesn't need something like this to prop it up. Mm-hmm. I played against Kurt with that card, and I was very worried when it hit the table and very relieved when it left the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that the... The opposite effect happened with Kurt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's modeled after our, bu- our buddy Rhino, uh, who is, he's a Rhino, and that's his name, and he's a great Magic player, and I thought he deserved a great card. Well, I guess I can go over two more cards, because well, we have one for Caleb and one for... Well, I was going to say, uh, we should also mention the fact that there are some other cubes in our community that people have built, mm-hmm. and different themes. Yep. Because um, I know, like, uh, Adam built a tribal cube. Yep, which is super fun. And played that the other day. Yeah, played that a few times. And Mittal, actually, Mittal made a popper cube. It's all commons and uncommons, I believe. That's cool. Yeah, which is awesome, and I can't wait to play that. So yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, that's another point, which is my cube has more of a multi-colored focus. It has, it's not, it's, it's a spiky cube and has a lot of power in it and a lot of haymakers, but it's also one where there's an emphasis on diversity of options as opposed to raw power, which I think yours is a little mm-hmm. more, t- you know, Tom, yours is a little more uh, geared towards. Um, 
What I think is interesting, Jonathan, this is a really um, fun and interesting solution to the, the kind of balance you're talking about. But as I'm hearing you and Tom talk about cube balance, it sounds like you're mostly talking about a, a duopoly between aggro and control. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if, if either of you have any thoughts about a combo in cube and what, what place that does and should occupy. It's a great question. Well, I told the story in my first on the first podcast, on our first podcast, right, Greg, where my first deck was kind of a combo deck with infinite turns, and I got that off a couple times, actually against Rhino, ironically enough, and that was some of the funnest magic I've ever played. And I played lots of combo decks in my day, but that was insane. So I think there's some combo options, but you have to work for it. What do you think? Uh, I would agree. I think that uh, combo needs to be... It needs to have a small niche place uh, in in cubes that want to be balanced. Uh, If you want to have a combo cube, you're going to have difficulty. When I first started building my cube, I put things like uh, illusions of grandeur and like donate and things like that in my cube. And I got ripped apart by my playgroup because they're like, this is only good with one other card that you may or may not even have in the draft. You may not even open up the packs that contain that card. So there's a place for combo, but like you can't have like a pyretic ritual thing going on with like red where you're supposed to have like a storm or something like that. Unless yeah. you really want to heavily support that, you need to have like this linear element to that. Or, and then this is, I think, the much better alternative and the one that we've uh, settled for, you need to find uh, generic combo enablers, mm-hmm. right? Survival of the fittest mm-hmm. is a combo enabler. You know, Squee is even a better example, right? Uh, Kiki-Jiki, right? Where there's just a million things that you can do that are more mundane than just winning the game right away with um, what's the what's the fairy that comes into play? And, uh, Pestermint. You know, the yeah. two-one Tap flash. Taps. Yeah. Flash creature for two colorless and a blue that when it comes into play... Tap or untap target permanent. Right, I got that combo off. I first you. That. Oh, that's and that's, fun. that's a beautiful combo. Yes. Like, I, I will pick Tiki way too high because it does just great mundane things, right? Sure. But if you happen to be in a, a place where you can splash blue and you see the Pestermite, right. you could just win the game, right? Yeah. So that's a two-card combo where both of the combo pieces are good in and of themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's why they can warrant inclusion, right? That's, that's the place that combo should have in the cube. Agreed. I, I totally agree too. Like some some of my favorite games, uh, some of my favorite losses. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, were were when my opponent did something with cards that those cards probably weren't played that way in a non cube scenario ever before. Like like just just some insane fun interactions with really good cards that on their own are are easily draftable and aren't aren't terrible on their own. And it's just it's it's been phenomenal to see some of the the different things that some of my opponents have done. And and I've definitely lost the combo scenarios in every, in, at least once in every draft uh, that I had at least a loss, you know? But uh, but I've definitely played against combo and lost. It's fun It's it's fun to, lo- to lose or to, or to win with it. Well, one of my favorite things in the cube is, and this I try to do every single time I draft, is find one combination that I haven't found before among the cards that is a unique combo within itself. And oftentimes, I'd say I can get, well, man, oftentimes, occasionally, on very rare occasions, actually, I can get a little excited. 
Do you guys know the witness this? <laughs> and that's usually when I realize that there's a card I just drafted with, paired with another card I'd already drafted that can do some amazing, powerful thing that I've never seen before. And I'll always, always, always look for that in every single draft I do, without exception. Sometimes I'll try to just draft a white deck. I've done that. Sometimes I'll just try to draft other styles. I'll, I'll have various you know, ideas sometimes. Sometimes I'll go just the way the cards go. But every single draft, I try to find a unique combo that I've never seen before. That's always fun for me, and that's one of my favorite parts of Cube. If you hear me get a little excited, that's probably why. <laughs> Getting a little excited. Jonathan? Really? Yeah, I, I think everybody in this room has seen Jonathan take his shirt off and throw it on the ground and make a noise. Um, <laughs> it very well may have happened It very well may have happened before this podcast. <laughs> Moving along. <laughs> before we leave this topic, sure. and by this, I hope you're talking about combos. <laughs> And by this topic, I don't mean Jonathan Shirtless. I mean uh, the cards that you've uh, chosen to design yourself and add to your cube. Mm-hmm. I wanted to throw out there that, and this is no knock against you, John. Mm-hmm. We've kind of been button heads here just by nature of how you set up this podcast. Well, and, and, that's, and, and I kind of wanted to be like that because we do have very different styles of cubes and it reflects... You know the different the different options out there, and absolutely, and yeah, you know that's I think that's great, but uh, but we are going to battle outside. But go ahead. Okay, so prior <laughs> to the battle, what I'm going to say is there are before people start designing their own cards for the cube, be aware that there are going to be players like me that really don't think that cards that aren't in real Magic have a place in 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 a draft set in, in a cube draft set. I don't want to play with cards that Wizards hasn't produced mm-hmm. because that's not the magic that I know and love. And I think that there are a lot of people who, who feel that way. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying don't feel like, you know, this is a panacea. You might, you might actually have some pushback from your players. Mm-hmm. Ironically, John, I think for, for this supposed dictatorship that you run mm-hmm. here, one of the ways in which you have been able to uh, get people on board mm-hmm. with the cards that you've designed is by eliciting their feedback, yeah, and by naming them after people in the community. Well, I you have to get feedback for sure, no matter what. You know, if you want to have your own cube, if you want to, have, you have to get feedback for the very fact of the matter that you don't know everything. A lot of good input is the only way to do it. Now, the difference to me really is less. I mean, there's definitely a different amount of feedback because literally you've had sessions where hours and hours and hours of discussion go on over. Maybe not a hundred cards, maybe like ten cards, right? Yes. Okay, so I don't. Yeah, which is awesome, and that's great, and that and that's very important. I don't deal with that. First of all, I don't have time to deal with that, especially with work schedule lately. But second of all, um, I just made a conscious decision not to. Now I get a lot of input, I get a lot of feedback. I take notes after every draft we do. I'll take notes, and you'll see me, you know, marking down different ideas people had. I'll elicit people's feedback, and I'll also keep track of cards that went late in the draft and cards that didn't. And I also have about, I'd say, and you guys have seen this, right? I have like 70 or 80 cards of each color of cards that are cube-worthy, I think, but I'm filtering in and out. And that's partially to keep it fresh and partially to make sure that if there are things that should not be in there, I always have alternatives. So I'm constantly seeking feedback, and that's very important, and that has nothing to do I'm the only kind of quote-unquote dictatorship part of my process is the process, and that's that I don't have to go through community in order to make a decision. I can make my own decisions, but I need the feedback. And also for making all the cards, I've really appreciated the feedback, and thanks for everyone that's, that's given me feedback on it, but I am not smart enough to do it myself. I need 
to test a little bit in playing. I need to get some other people's opinions on it, and I need to have that that process go through to make an informed decision. And that's how I think you know most of my life decisions are like that. I, I like to get a lot of feedback. That's just my personality. But I don't like all the waiting and all the process, especially when it's like, you know, some new set came out. I want to, you know, put in all these awesome cards and I don't get to, or I wouldn't get to if I had to go through a process where people would feel excluded because they have put equal amounts of time, or not equal, but they put their own time, their own cards into the cube, their own, you know, investment. And therefore, they deserve, everyone deserves an equal say like a democracy. And I really respect that. It's just a different process that I use. And I'm not saying it's better or worse. But for me, that's what I need to have in order to have the flexibility to cube whenever I want. Mm. So the last thing I wanted to just ask about your cube was M11 hits, misses, also predictions for the new set. Um, Okay. All of the Titans are hits. Okay. Uh, We have added all of the Titans... And I don't believe that anyone has really objected in any way to any of those ads, even even the Frost Titan. I mean, they're all they're all good, and uh, they're fun. Yeah, yes. I mean, they're they're really fun. It's fun to steal one too. <laughs> oh, Bobby yeah. Hill's deck last time with Rafelos and <coughs> being able to turn one mana producer, turn two Rafelos, turn three Primeval Titan. Turn for Tooth and Nail was, like, awesome. <laughs> and, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I completely agree that, that Titans are great. Especially, I actually really like the Frost Titan because it there, there's it, it's the type of card that is not actually as linear as it might seem. There's a lot of different ways you can go with it. Being able to tap two different things when you it comes into play that stays tapped and then you tap, you know, that's there's a lot of options, that, especially with Recursion and everything else, but... Is there any any other ones that... Um, I'm going to be kind of unexciting here, partly because uh, we haven't actually gone through the entire process of adding M11 cards yet. Okay. Um, I autocratically added some. I think Crystal Ball gets in there. There might be some... See, this is the thing. There are some cards that I think might be great Mm -hmm. uh, and that I would autocratically add, and then people are going to tell me, oh, this card is awful. And well, they'll, then, they'll have wait, reasons to back it up. Well, let's you know, and, and that's a great question for for our listeners as well. Do you think that Crystal Ball is cube worthy? Right. We'd love to hear from you guys. Let us know what you think. What do you guys think? We got a round table right here. Uh, I certainly do. Okay. I, I think it could be insane. Kurt, it's in. I'm on the edge. I, it's the kind of card I really like to play, but it, it certainly I think is is probably on the lower end of the power spectrum of the cube. If it is. And again, as an artifact, it has some really stiff competition. I mean, True. When, when I'm drafting and I'm looking at a pack that would have, say, Crystal Ball and Tangle Wire, they're, they're going to seem to be in totally different realms in terms of what a three-man artifact can do. I completely agree that artifacts are very limited and therefore there's a lot of power packed into them. I'm also on the fence, but I think that it is an incredibly strong ability I would probably err on the side of putting it in, and I think it's it's cube worthy. You do have a Voltaic key, which you can put in M11 right now, but there's a lot of other things that you can play around with. Tezzeret is one of them, and there's other options 
with scrying that it's not as linear as it might appear to be. I, or not exactly linear, but it's not as bad as it might appear to be on its own because of the potential interactions you can have. Also with Cascade stuff, it's more Cascade things in Q. I would say put it in because I'm incredibly curious to find out all the little intricacies that can happen with it. How about the new set? Is there anything... First of all, with all the cards, so is there anything that doesn't get in? Oh my gosh, <laughs> this parallel is insane. This is what... This is why we wait a couple months before we start putting things in. Because every time a spoiler comes out, it's like, oh my god, that's amazing! (laughs) And to be fair, and I would love to do a podcast with you at some point about this subject, part of the reason is that there's been some significant power creep in the last few uh, years. Yeah. I think think everyone is aware, like, even maybe the last year, it just seems like the power level on cards has really been increasing, especially Mm -hmm. on the top end, right, on the tournament level cards. But the problem with that is it leaves you with a big question mark as to whether or not they're really good enough because you can't ever evaluate a card in a vacuum. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait for one, which is, uh, well, obviously, Koth. Has everyone here seen Koth? Kurt, we talked talked about it on the phone, man. Two, red, red, forecasting cost, three loyalty, planeswalker, Plus one loyalty on Tava Mountain is still a mountain, but it becomes a four-four creature. Minus two loyalty, add one red mana for each. Until end of turn, excuse me. Minus two loyalty, add one red mana for each mountain you control. Minus five loyalty, each mountain you control for the rest of the game gains the ability to have to deal one damage to target creature or player. I draft that card. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Caleb? I think he is fantastically designed. He's, he's very versatile. He could clearly play a role in, in an aggro, a control, or a combo deck, which in his power level is through the roof. So, yeah. I, I doubt there'll be much community discussion right. um, against including the inclusion of Koth. And he's, uh, especially because he shores up, as you both noted, the weakest color. Absolutely. Red Absolutely. means more uh, double-colored red cards like that that are just broken. So yeah. people have to draft, you know, red. Yeah, yeah. Like Goblin Bastards. There's some other interesting things with this new set with Metalcraft for cube implications, right? Mm. Because in my cube, I know I, I've put a big emphasis on artifacts because I want to make Tezzeret viable yes. and other artifact strategies. There's, there's a lot of interactions that can happen. That's the most obvious and glaring, but there's a lot of different things that can happen. And so I've made a concerted effort to make decks that can run a tons of artifacts. Border posts... Okay. As multicolored, not as artifacts. So there's even a higher amount of them. So you're cheating them into the artifact pile. Kind of. <laughs> well, orange kind of, it's another way you could look at it is I'm, I'm shoring up the mana fixing in order to allow for more uh, multicolored decks. But yeah, that's that's another way to look that's, at that's it. That's another thing. When you start talking about this, this new set and potentially including a bunch of new artifacts, they have to fit into the either the artifact slot or into the multicolor slot, which then impacts how they're going to show up in a given pack, which I didn't, which we, we didn't really talk about, and some of, the, some of our listeners that might be really new to, to the cube mm-hmm. format might not realize that you know you you build these packs out of these huge selection of cards in a very methodic way, where you've got X number of, of this color, X number of this color, Correct. X number of this color, that is done randomly within those colors, but you, you build packs in a certain way, whereas when you start... When you talk about a very artifact-based deck, mm-hmm. um, or, or set, excuse me, with, with Scars of Mirrodin, mm-hmm. that some of the things like Metalcraft that are, are designed based on this concept of having 
a huge quantity of artifacts in every pack that you open, you're, you're going to have a lot more versatile um, drafting capabilities in, in, in scars than if you try and take something with metalcraft that's insane in scars and try and put that into a cube without doing something to intentionally modify that. Yes. So, that, so it's going to be real hard to, to do some of those evaluations, particularly early, until you've got an idea. Yeah. That's something that, uh, not to cut you off. No, please. That's something that we found in Rise of Eldrazi. Uh, you know, there's, I don't know how many really, really great, high casting cost Eldrazi cards, but very few of them actually make sense in the cube. Sure. Because the ramp and the, and the slow, I mean, it is not a slow format. Right, like that. It just yeah. it just isn't. Either you're taking control or you're winning right away. Yeah, it has a lot of diversity that allows for faster decks. It also allows for decks that can actually play eleven casting cost guys, and there is that potential there. So I completely agree. And the cube is not set up that way. So I agree. I have I have a couple in mind, but I do not have all of them by any means. I do not have one of the best ones that was in the set, which was the 8-8 eight, eight for 8 with Annihilator 2. That is not in my cube, mm. but I do have other ones because I run cards like Sneak Attack. For example, speaking of Sneak Attack, have you guys seen Liege of the Tangle yet? That's, a, that's yes. a green, the big green dude, right? <laughs> yep. I will go over the card. It's 6 green green, so 8 converted mana cost for a creature elemental. It has Trample. It's an 8-8. Eight, eight. When it deals combat damage to a player, you may choose any number of target lands you control and put an Awakened Counter on each of them. Each of those lands is an 8-8 green elemental creature as long as it has Awakened Counter on it. There's still lands. So even if that guy dies, Correct. there's still 8-8s. Wow. You so, have to get rid of the counters. Or you wow. have to draft Parish. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I could imagine sneak attacking that guy in, dealing 8, and having an army full of 8-8s. Kurt is shaking his head. What do you think? It's just that card's not fair or fun. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is a very important point when you're talking about you. But, Come now, Kurt. I, I've played against time. you before. I, I realize the way this works against you is you take eight damage and then blow up all their lands. Right? <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, Wrath of God just got way better. I can't wait to play. I can't wait to play with that card. That's my inner Timmy coming out. That's awesome. That's so big and cool. It does lots of cool stuff. Uh, there's one other one that I wanted to get you guys' feedback on, which is Molten Tail Mastercore. It's four for an artifact creature Mastercore, so all the Mastercore has been awesome so far, right? It's a 4-4. Four, four. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice Molten Tail Mastercore, unless you discard a card. Two mana to regenerate it. And four mana and exile a creature card from your graveyard. Molten Tail Mastercore deals four damage to target creature player. So each turn you're discarding a card, but if you discard, if you feed creatures in your graveyard, you can exile them. And, you know, um... Does he have to tap? Nope. Just four mana and sure, exile. I mean, it's four, so it's, it's expensive, but... You flame javelin something every turn for four mana moving a creature. My brain instantly tries it. to think about, about limited right now, and how, and how that will interact with a favorite new blue card, with it being cheaper to, to use that ability. <laughs> that's just going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? Is that at the? I mean, that's for the cube for an artifact creature because that's competing with what? You got Mastercore. The other Mastercore is for one. Right. Solemn Simulacrum. Yep, Solemn Simulacrum, which is four for a two-two when it comes into play. Switch your library for a basic land. Put in play tapped when it dies. Draw a card. Correct. So, what are some of the? You know, I mean, Suchi. It's true. In Tom's <laughs> cube, he's running Suchi. I love is, me some Suchi. So, for those who might not be old school players like us, Suchi is. 
Four for four four. Was that from Antiquities? Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> and when it when Suchi dies, you get four colorless mana in your mana pool instantly. Well, there's no mana burn anymore, so it got playable. Ding. <laughs> uh, so and Tom realized, and actually, it's seen quite a bit of play in your cube. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's a four 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 four. Right. Which in some of the control decks that don't have right. efficient creatures, it's been used. It's been. It's a great wall for some control decks yep. on turn four. Absolutely. Okay, so Molten Zone Ascor beats that. Juggernaut? True. Does it beat Juggernaut? I think it beats Juggernaut, right? That's Oracle. Which one is that? That's the... I like that one for multi-claim. It's the Sunburst one. Um, it's a Sunburst, four mana, for hopefully 4-4 four, four if you're playing it at all. It has the ability one color oh, to sack right. it, draw three cards. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that guy is is very good as well. Well, I think Molten Till Mastercard definitely, although, of course, for flavor and its awesomeness, Suchi is better. But Molten Core Mastercore is better than that, right? Molten Tail Mastercore. Sure. It's better than Juggernaut? Probably. Probably. I'll be honest with you. It fills such different roles. Razor, Razor Main Mastercore is so much better because of the first strike. Yes. I feel like. Absolutely. The 4 4 thing, I mean, yeah, you get the regeneration, which is okay and everything like that. But just not being able to let it rumble. In sure. there without any fear. Well, and being able to take out creatures for free is huge. Four mana yes. is significant. Yes. For sure. And the and the caveat, you know, being able to remove a, uh, a creature, a lot of decks will not be able to do that. That will be able to run the other Master Core, mm-hmm. or they will be able to run Suchi, because a lot of the decks, the controlling decks, that want to be able to take out guys efficiently don't have a lot They're of creatures to mess around with. And to me, the <laughs> most exciting thing about this card is the fact that you get to discard a card. Every turn. Because okay. you can do dumb things. That's true. Right? Madness. Reanimator, yep. madness, uh, any kind of recursion like Squee or some sort of other way to just not have to actually pay that card, like Life from the Loam Shenanigans, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. just, oh, Tricks oh, oh. against Kane's Haste. Yep. And yeah, Unearth guys get better, right? <laughs> Unless you have to exile them, which I don't, that's why I don't like the card. I want the creatures to stay in my graveyard. I right. want the cards that are in my graveyard that go to the graveyard either to come something. back out. Right. When I want them to, right? <laughs> or to stay there. then with it. Well, see, that's what I what I'm saying though is yeah. I mean, it's okay to get the cards in there. I think dredge is is, is okay, but if you want to use that whatever you want to call it, ultimate ability of, of paying four to deal four damage, it's not exactly what I'd call synergistic. Well, it's, I'll say something that it's actually good for, which is countering. Dead is now. Dead is now. Uh, is actually not as good with that guy, right? Because you can exile cards from your graveyard when they're trying to reanimate them. Yeah, I mean, it's an onboard trick, though. Right. It just stops them from being able to. Like any kind of, uh, you know, uh, necromancy or, uh, you know, that that puppeteer click. Yep. Right, those sorts of things. They're going to know about it ahead of time. It's not like... Right. Well, it's it's more... Right. It's it's not something that you can necessarily trick them with. It's more of a preventative. You keep four mana up, and they're not going to be able to keep recurring your... Your busted guys. So, so if I'm hearing this correctly, there's pretty much nothing that's going to stop Jonathan from putting this guy in. And, uh, <laughs> it's unlikely that to, Tom's waiting for some more debate to really. Uh, I'm waiting for people to tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's getting in mind, but I, I the, the jury is out. There's a lot of great looking artifacts that are in this new set. I know that Tom, your your time is tight. Work very hard, and you you have to go to work tomorrow. Uh, so I think we can do one of two things. We can take an intermission. Let you get going, and we can come back to another discussion. We can take an intermission, let you get going, 
come back to a discussion then cube later, because I did bring a cube tonight, or we can draft, because I guess I have lots of packs. If we are up for that, we can just stop the show right here and cube. Uh, <laughs> or um, I think in all cases, we're probably going to go to an intermission, and there's a possibility that Tom, Tom may be... Tom may be gone. Well, well, give us some parting thoughts. Any final words of wisdom for your first show with us tonight? Uh, thank you for having me on. It was awesome. Thanks for coming. Um, really happy to have, to have been here. Um, you know what? I, can I ask, not to know, but can you, I want to get your thoughts on the Milwaukee scene before you go, because we've been sharing our thoughts a lot. What do you think about this as a community to play Magic in? Well, keep in mind that I'm not from here. Right, exactly. Because um, you're, so, you're from Minnesota, right? Right. Which also has a very strong Magic scene yeah. in the Twin Cities. And I was never really part of that scene because I was a casual player when I was there. Okay. So I came to competitive Magic here. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the Milwaukee magic scene has a lot of great talented people um, in it. And I feel like sometimes the way in which we as a community manage our resources is subpar compared to the Madison area, Chicago, Minneapolis area, you know, other, other metro areas Mm -hmm. that are, you know, hosting, uh, you know, PTQs or or Grand Prix and things like that. And I really feel like the passion that we have here. And, and even the density of players should allow us to do that. It's obviously a lot more complicated than that. So you're so you're basically throwing the, the glove out. You're throwing the gauntlet. You're issuing the challenge. You want Milwaukee organizers and players to step up and get some events here. You want some local growing. I, I think it can happen. All right. It's out there. Tom, I, and, and, you know, you a, all heard it. I think that's a phenomenal point. And, and we, we, I think we could, we, could, we could expand as to why you believe that and, and, and some of the what he means when he says the, the refers to those resources mm-hmm. and, and how the, how they're used. I mean, we have a lot of different stores and a lot of people that are spread across those stores. You can go to any one of those stores for a different feel and for a different thing. And they're all, you know, very strong, but if, you know, if, if they were to a little more organized together in some of the games at different times, you could, we could probably do some really big. Well, we definitely have the support here. We have the people that would play. We have the uh, we're, we're close enough to other areas, right? And we used to host GPS. We used to have Gen Con, which is huge. Yeah. That left. We used to have well, that, that left because of the, the facility didn't. You know, we the convention center was revamped after it left. Like, no, it left because we didn't Gen have Con, hotel Gen space. Con got got too big for for that location. There was nothing but complaints. No, it was because we didn't have enough hotel space. We we know the yeah, and I know the people who were involved with the process. This is a fantastic. Center had been rebuilt before it moved. Correct. This is a fantastic reflection on the the kind of potential that exists within the magic scene here. But this is probably a subject worth a whole cast on its own. Yes. But the gauntlet's out there. We're challenging Milwaukee to step it up and get some events here. We're going to take a brief intermission. We may or may not be back. Tom, thank you so much for coming today, man. Thank you for having me. Okay, that's it. back for spikes special edition the cube round table tom has left us we still have caleb greg and kurt and we are going to be wrapping up pretty shortly but we just wanted to go over a couple more things while we still have the round table pretty you know 80 percent intact as it were yeah so first picks that you will never ever pass 
besides, and can't count Lotus or Ancestral, or all the normal ones. But besides that first pick that you'll never, never, never pass, that people might not think of, we can just shout it out, but we're going to start with Kurt. Uh, I have a few favorites, but because my uh, username is Smokestack, I'm going to say Smokestack. It's such a fun card. It's just and so abusable. Explain what Smokestack and is. And I have to fight for it because Jonathan's going to take away from me if I don't take Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Without exception. You saw it in the last draft and he didn't <laughs> yes. take it when you took... What did you take, Jace? for the lap. You took Jace over it? And who won? You did, you did win. Okay. So go ahead and, and explain what Smokestack is for any listeners that might not have heard. Well, the great thing about Smokestack is the fact that... Explain what the card does. Oh, okay. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, you can put a counter on it. And at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a permit equal to number of counters that is on Smokestack. And you can order those however you want. And uh, so... What is and, it? It's a forecasting cost artifact, Oh, forecasting right? cost artifact. Okay, so, how, so, so this interaction works because... Uh, it works because if you're behind, you just load it up with counters... So hopefully you can get them for three and you only have one permanent on your turn. Just clear the board, start over if your hand's, hand's full. If they're in a land pinch and they don't have any creatures on the board, you can hit their lands. And uh, if you have any graveyard recursion or anything like that, you can set it up so you are getting ahead of the game because they're not expecting that type of card to come out. Particularly and especially token generators. And if you if you race it out right away, say in turn two or three, I mean, it's like it could be just lights out for someone else and you're just going to cry. Okay, Caleb, what about you? I also cry over Kurt's smokestack. <laughs> no, um, I would say something similar in the sense that first pack, first pick, even in cube, getting a, a powerful artifact is really appealing because you know you'll be able to include it. So Now, what but, kind of powerful artifact? Are you talking about like a smokestack or a JIT? Because there's very different type or mocks. Correct. So I would say um, I'd be happy to open a GTA, I'd be happy to open a Nevernell's Disc. Okay. which both go in very different decks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm pretty confident that regardless of the deck, I'm going to be happy playing either. In an aggro deck, I won't object to having a 4-mana uh, board sweeper like Nevernell's Disc, which is a 4-mana artifact uh, that comes into play tapped, and for 1-mana, tap tap it, you can destroy all artifacts, creatures, and enchantments. Um, so even in an aggro deck, I'm never unhappy to include a reset button. And Umazano's Jite, the... Two mana cost equipment that does anything you need it to really. Again, there are some control decks where I wouldn't include it, but I honestly don't tend to draft those decks. And even if I have a reasonable number of creatures, it's probably still making it in the deck. <laughs> for for me, uh, and I I definitely agree with with the, the concept that I think Caleb is, is is getting towards, which is you know give me something powerful early that I can start building a deck around. And that's that's definitely what 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 I what I want. And sometimes sometimes it's even a mana fixer. I I'll 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 first pick a mana fixing that is really really good, particularly if it's at an artifact like a mox, um, something that's just insane that I can start sculpting around because if if I think that that's a, a card that's going to go second or go third, then I just got then I'm then I'm looking for cards to like I'm trying to avoid doing the same thing to the person next to me or, or I don't know I, I I just like to to have a little bit of an idea of what I'm going to be doing for the for the the whole draft as early as possible, particularly in, in cube, because it doesn't it doesn't always just come together though you have lots of different interactions. Um, I don't know, so I, I don't know, I've got a, I've got a unique strategy with that. I think there's also with Kurt, you know, the same thing is true with me that I 
have a lot of cards that I will first pick, but I will. You will never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, almost see me pass Armageddon. It's one of my favorite cards. I've always loved land destruction for some reason, and I'll almost never pass an Armageddon. And in fact, Dan called me out on it last time because I had a fast start with. Oh no, I had a fast Johnny Vengeance, and I was able to keep you know, manipulating the uh, situation over and over and over so much I was able to Armageddon him. And he just got really upset and he says, you know, no matter what, you always Armageddon me, even though I didn't actually draft Armageddon this time. But he, it was kind of funny. But Armageddon, for anyone who doesn't know, is three and a white for sorcery, destroy all lands. Definitely one of my favorite cards. Although there's quite a few cards that I will never pass if I, you know, pretty much if I see them. And one of the funniest things to me, though, is some of the cards that go really late, especially in green, such as Regrowth, which goes very late in our cube, much later than I, than I think. And another one is Is It Chronarch, which is awesome, one of my favorite cards. And I spoke about it last week, but for anyone didn't hear, it's three a, red, a three, a red, and a blue for a 2-2 two, two when it comes to play return target sorcery instant from a graveyard to your hand. So much cool stuff you can do with that. So... Those are our favorite. Those are some of our first picks. What are the other ones that you're thinking of, by the way, besides Smokestack, Kurt? Just while we have you here. Well, I think uh, some cards that are like undervalued is like Crystal Shard, and just being able to oh, abuse cards so good. Abuse any creature that comes into play effect. What's that card? Just, well, it's a three casting cost artifact. Pay one and tap it. Return target creature to its owner's hand unless they pay one. Unless they or pay a blue mana. It's or it's pay a blue. it's right, right. You can either play. Blue or, right. Sorry, that's what I meant to say is either or, yeah. But uh, it also works with your creatures. Right. So maybe you get your... And, and the goal of it's not even to try to get your opponent's creatures, really. Well, and, and, and it makes them keep an extra man up sometimes, and that's relevant as well. Right, but I just mean the, the purpose of drafting that card, though, is to just, you know, keep casting Av- Avalanche Rider and Bone Shredder and... Kelvin Vandals. Viridian Shaman or right. any of that fun stuff. You know, the so all the, all the quote unquote one eight seven creatures yeah. when they come into play they do something. So. Were there any of the other ones besides Crystal Shard you're thinking of? Uh, well, I have thought like well you talked about uh, Jackal Hops before, but cards like Obliterate. Ah, oh, Obliterate, know, just, which does you don't have to worry about. Uh, it's a reset button in red for a six colorless two red, and it can't be countered, which I think is key because sometimes when blue is heavily in the format, you have to worry about counter spells and trying to wait for blue to be tapped up before you can try to cast that reset button. And just having one um, that is uncounterable, I think, is great. And it allows you to extend and then being able to reset and know that you can race again faster than blue can, especially when they've, you know, cast all of their moxes and set other things up for themselves. So, you know, things like that can allow you to battle that blue player. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things that I do diff- differently than I think a lot of a lot of other cube drafters, I try as early as possible to force a strategy, whatever strategy that is. And, and, and in cube, strategies are so varied. You can do so many different. There's so many different interactions. You can just do so many different things. But I want to try and send a signal to the people, to the person to the left of me, as best as I can, that I'm doing something that they can interpret. Now. In draft, that's that's not very easy to, to do. Some people, you know, will, will draft the first two or three cards of a given color, and then they'll only look at cards of that particular color, and, and they won't look at signals. 
But if I can tr try and send a signal, I all the advantages that you have in, in other limited formats of or drafting formats. If you send a signal, you're gonna you're gonna get those cards in the second pack. I want those to be in in a cube draft as well. So I try and enforce a little bit. Whatever I whatever I start with early through that first pack, I try and and maintain with it. After the first pack, it doesn't matter anymore because you're not establishing a, a signal to the person to your left. You know whatever you did there, you, you you're gonna get in the third pack anyway. So uh, I I try and I try and force in that particular. Well, did you have any other first picks that you wanted to go over, Caleb? Before, well, I don't know about first picks are interesting, but I think as I mentioned earlier, it would pain me at any point to pass a trinket mage or. A man of war, those are those are pet cards, or in Tombstalker as well. Uh, mention what Tombstalker does, please. So Tombstalker is a fantastic creature. It is uh, six six colorless and two black for a five five flying creature with the delve ability, meaning you can substitute any of the six colorless mana uh, by removing a card in your graveyard for the game. So if you're playing a, a fidgety deck with trinket mages and brainstorms and ponder, um, you can often pay the low, low price of two black mana for a 5-5 five, five flyer. <laughs> Get it now! They're going, going, gone! Yeah, and that's absolutely phenomenal. And actually, Caleb's card that, that I made after him uh, is a little reminiscent of that. Uh, but if you're interested in some of the cards I've made and you want to hear more about those cube spoilers, as it were, you can feel free to email us if you have any other thoughts on this show. And it's still looking for ideas for my birthday. I'm always taking interest and feedback on that because that's going to be coming up soon, which you guys are both, you guys are all coming to that, right? Yeah. Awesome. That's all that we have for this section of Four Spikes, the Cube Roundtable. We're going to quickly go over some shout-outs and a couple of the emails and contacts we've gotten. And we'll start off by thanking Alex, who was the first time he wrote into us. Alex, thanks so much for your support. Uh, have fun in Oshkosh. We look forward to drafting with you upon your return. And Greg will get back to you if you can make up that tournament. I don't know if he's decided yet. Yeah, we're not, I'm not not sure, but there's there's a there's a, a TCG player thing in, in Madison, I think, next weekend. Yep. Let's see if we get, get a ride or something. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> so that's, so that's uh, yeah, we really appreciate the feedback, Alex. Thanks. Thanks so much to um, over at Manuscrewed. The, the Bemi has been uh, really supportive. Manuscrewed podcast has been great. Also, he's a Milwaukee native, and, and he's... Uh, given us a lot of support and encouragement and some great feedback. So thanks so much to Bammy. A lot of this show is inspired by some of the feedback you gave about, you know, the cube and, and we hope you enjoyed it. And also, uh, we just wanted to, uh, for everyone else that's given us feedback. Thanks so much. Um, I know we've gotten some Facebooks and some other stuff and, you know, we'll, we'll get to, back to each and every one of you. And we really want to say that we're glad to hear Big Head Joe from UMTG Taps is feeling uh, better yeah. and stay strong. You guys do such a great show. Really appreciate it. And we are looking forward to more of that. So again, thanks so much. We are Four Spikes. Uh, you can contact us. Yeah, we've got some we've got some new opportunities for you guys to get a hold of us and to really start to create a community around this podcast a bit. So on Facebook, um, uh, Four Spikes, uh, space between Four Spikes, uh, and then on Twitter, no space, uh, twitter.com slash Four Spikes, and then also uh, Four Spikes at gmail.com is our email. 
So we're getting pretty consist- consistent with that. Uh, I'm also available on Twitter at G3NGR3G. Um, and then Jonathan's on, uh, on, on Twitter, but very infrequent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not as much Magic-related, so you can hit me up at jbrostoff, but uh, it's not going to be very much Magic content. It's, it's more for other stuff, but if you want to get in touch with me, that's fine. I will say that Billy Moreno is now following us, who designed one of my favorite... It's actually that deck that we were working on, Kurt, if you remember the uh, kind of land destruction tempo deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he made a better version of that at the same time that, you know, we were working on that one, and I ended up playing that at a couple tournaments, and I loved it. It was so fun. Big fans of Billy. Thanks so much for your support, and we'd love to have you on the show sometime, so hopefully we can work that out. Also, we're trying to get Adrian Sullivan on, so hopefully you guys will get to hear from him in one of the upcoming shows. Yeah, we just got to find a way of getting him a headset or something so he can can talk to us. Yeah, but uh, thanks so much for everyone for listening. We'll be back with more Force Spikes next time, and keep the emails coming. (laughs) 